the underlying premise in Christianity is so different than all these other religions and ethical systems because the reason you don't do these things has nothing to do with the intrinsic rightness or wrong with them. Uh, they have to do with your identity. In other words, you don't do these things. There's a natural law that people know because of who you are. Mm -hmm. So it's an issue of identity and it's an outflow of your inner transformation. Hello and welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, where we are trying to give you the tools, encouragement, and inspiration to do the work of growing your faith. Mm -hmm. Our goal is not to tell you what to think, but help you to think for yourself. And we can't do this without Dr. Douglas Peak, our own Salty <laughs> Pastor right here. Yes. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the next podcast of the Salty Pastor, where we've started a brand new series. And this series is called Foundation. And it's all about uh, building your life on the right foundation that is strong enough to sustain you through all the ups and downs and the curvy roads, the valleys, the mountains, the fording of the rivers, you name it. You need a life that is built upon a firm foundation because that is the key to not only happiness, it's not only the key to joy, but it's also the key to you know, that incredible strength of uh, your mental strength, your mental health, your relationships. I mean, it just goes all throughout life. It's all about your foundation. So that's what this series is all about and why Jesus Christ is the ultimate foundation on which you want to build your life. Amen. I will say with everything you described, though, I feel like a good truck with some four-wheel drive could handle that too. <laughs> so it's one or the other, either a truck with four-wheel drive or you're going to have to have a really good foundation in life. Unless so. you're climbing Mount Everest. I don't know. You just put some, you know, what, those snow tires on there with the studs? Goes right yeah, up. I've never seen Get it. a nice winch. <laughs> Be perfect. Okay. Okay. So what do we talk about on Tuesday, son? Well, on Tuesday, we talked about a couple of the foundational aspects of what we are to believe. And, mm -hmm. you know, we obviously were here, we're as a church, we have the salty pastor. And... So our, our position basically is that the Bible is our foundation. And we talked about the truth statement of Christianity. Christianity is a truth claim. And if you build your life on that truth claim, that is a strong foundation. Mm -hmm. That includes things, you know, like, you know, the biblical principles that we talked about. Every human being is seeking meaning and purpose in their life. You know, we want to make sense of everything. So we need to build on that firm foundation. And we believe that that is in Jesus Christ. That is in the truth claim mm -hmm. that he is the Messiah. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to build that on that strong foundation. You know, other people will discuss different foundations. A lot of people won't. They'll just imply things and, you know, and think about things. But if people do talk about foundations, they don't always agree. And that's okay. But again, we're here and we believe in the truth claim of Jesus. Yes. And so we believe that that strong foundation is based on Jesus. You know, it's not a religion. It's not something that, you know, we talked about on Tuesday, a bunch of cultural norms and everything. We talked about how Easter has elements of that we, that Christianity took from pagans, not because it is pagan, not because that's the origin, but because there's no culture. There's no, like, they didn't come in and say, well, you got to celebrate Easter this way, you mm -hmm. know? And you look about how Christmas is celebrated all over the world. There are a lot of different ways to celebrate Christmas. 
And that's okay because mm-hmm. Christianity is not some claim about, well, you have to celebrate Christmas this way. Yeah. There has to be, you know, what is it, a turkey or a ham on yeah. the table at this time. You have to wear this. You have yeah. to give this. You have to have these ornaments. You have to decorate your house this way. You have to listen to this music. You have to say these rites. You have to do these. You do have to listen to way. Michael Buble. That is, that is the one thing that you have to do. But other than that, there's no uh, cultural rules. I think rules. that's a religious claim, not a truth claim. But we talked about how based on that truth claim, we can find justification for ourselves, you know, in in Christ. And if we try to do it ourselves, that kind of becomes the end goal. And then we're trying to work on how we can rationalize and figure out a way to have a moral code that we live up to and we can judge others by. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't go very well because it's a floating foundation. Mm -hmm. It's a foundation that instead of being built on an outside truth claim, it's built on us. And we are floating, we are moving, we change. And because of that, if we find our justification in us, well, we're just going to change. And yes. so we have to then have an evolving moral code, which usually does not work because that's just moral relativism. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we try to find it ourselves, we end up losing it because we're yeah. not going to be able to, to find it anywhere and we're not going to be able to stay the same. Yeah. And every, so if every human being is seeking meaning or purpose in life, a way to make sense of it all, uh, they're choosing a foundation. It's also called a frame of reference. Mm-hmm you know, is kind of one way to look at it. And since these are things that exist in our sentience, it's, they exist in our soul. They're in our spirit. They're in our minds, our rationale, our Mm -hmm. capacity for reasoning, our emotional centers, the things that set us apart from every other living creature, they exist there. Consequently, what are the stones, the rocks, the, the granite, uh, in that arena of life that gives you a firm foundation and that's ideas it's ideologies it's a worldview it is a frame of reference and so that's what we're really talking about and what a lot of people want to do is they want to make christianity a moral code or they want to make it a religion so they can criticize it and deconstruct it deconstruct it but what Christianity at its core is a truth claim about ultimate reality, a mm-hmm. frame of reference. And once you understand that, you begin to understand, wow, this is how it impacts my life every single day and how it makes a huge difference in how I approach life, mm-hmm. the meaning of life, the purpose of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a big deal. So, well, let's talk about some of the ways in which we, you know, take the biblical principles from Tuesday and then apply them over. And I think, you know, the truth claims of Christianity have to do a lot in opposition to other truth claims. Mm -hmm. And like, for instance, one of the truth claims out there is called scientific materialism. Mm -hmm. It's also called secular humanism. It's also called atheism. And and or you could just cut through all of it and call it nihilism, nihilism, (laughs) nihilism, which is what it is. (laughs) There you go. It's just nihilistic. And what we mean by that is that if there is no soul, then there is no you that is you. There's no sentience. Uh, there's no being alive. There's nothing that sets you apart from, let's say, animals that are driven purely by instinct. That means there's no bonding between human beings. There's no actual relationships between human beings that are altruistic in any way, shape, or form. And then ultimately, this robs you if there's no love, there's no higher virtues, there's no nothing, because there is nothing it gives you zero meaning and zero purpose, which leads to no hope. 
And this, of course, always is nihilistic, meaning that what happens is people despair. And this is the problem with scientific materialism and atheism is that it never can explain why people can fall into despair so deep that it causes them to end their life. And what's really fascinating is in America today, you know, the, the number one killer of young males is suicide. I think that's really fascinating to me that it's so high. It's increasing, not mm -hmm. decreasing. I, w I would disagree with you on one point. What's that? You, you said that it, it doesn't have any answer to, you know, suicide. It doesn't have any answer to depression in these things. I think it would claim that it does. I think it would claim that the answer is there's no question. There <laughs> you know, is no, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, as you mentioned, there's no, there's no real life mm -hmm. in science. If, if there is no, if there's nothing beyond, and really what essentially scientific materialism is, is it believes in only the physical world. Only the physical world. There is no supernatural. And by that, we don't mean ghosts or, you know, demons necessarily or, you know, horror movies and stuff. But we mean, you know, there's nothing beyond the physical you know, which is kind of weird when you think of what's an idea then, you know, that and right. they, they would just say it's just synapses. It's just neurons in your brain. And that's all it is. There's nothing more to that. Yeah. Which even then you could say, well, what's like an arrangement of something? And they're like, oh, it's just all random. And, you know, that's not actually real. But mm -hmm. because they believe everything is physical, if you end your life, it's purely a physical thing. There is no soul. There is no meaning. There's no purpose behind it. So mm -hmm. I think that they would disagree with you saying they don't have an answer. They'd say there's no question. Yeah. But if you look at that from your experience, it's like, is that really anywhere close to what we know? Correct. You know, just, just intrinsically about ourselves, you know, yes. uh, there's a, there's an atheist who talks about this a lot and he is, uh, an honest atheist or whatever you want to call it, where yes. he's like, he's full scientific materialist. He's like, yeah, everything's deterministic. And I remember you one time told me about a book of his that you read. And in the opening, it talked about this guy who he had had like a rough childhood or something and he ended mm -hmm. up murdering two people. Yes. And then his point was like, oh, if I would have been that in that situation, I would have done the exact same thing because it's determinism. There's no free will. There's nothing. of There's that. no choice. There's no choice at all. Mm -hmm. And so it, that is a terrible foundation to build on. Yes. You know, and, and everything that we do is going to harken back to one of those foundations. The stories we tell, the way we live life is going to harken back to those foundations. It's based on those foundations. And so if you want to believe and you decide to believe that there is no meaning, there's nothing beyond the physical world, and you're just a deterministic being that makes no choice, that is going to heavily affect how you live as compared to believing in Jesus and believing that he came to this world, he is the Messiah, and he died for your sins, and you can have salvation and freedom in him. Those are two very different things to build your life on. And yeah, they're going to end up radically in, different. They're going to be in very different positions in, in mm -hmm. every piece of your life. Well, and the thing that's really interesting about it is this, this atheist who talks about this, I, I think there's two things about his postulate. The first postulate that you pointed out, there is no sentience. There's no, there's nothing beyond, there's no ideas, there's no free will, there's no choice. Excellent point. But the second point it does is that it, insults or actually denigrates the intellectual capacity of human beings. And what it does is that it has no answer for guilt. Mm -hmm. In other words, there, you shouldn't, you know, but people feel guilty all the time, but it can't yeah. explain guilt and it can't prove guilt, right? Is scientific materialism cannot prove guilt and yet guilt exists. It can't prove love, but love mm -hmm. exists. It can't prove beauty, mm. but beauty exists. Uh, well, again, again, they would, they would say they're not going to try to, they would say they don't exist. Yeah. They that's would just that's say, their essential postulate, which again yeah. is terrible. 
and we're going to call talk it. Today. And he says that he calls it an illusion. Yeah. You think it exists, but it's just a creation of your mind. Yeah, exactly. Which is an interesting thing for a deterministic being from evolution to create an illusion in its mind. Yeah. You know, How do like, you create things that don't <laughs> exist? Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's, it's, it's quite, it's quite the thing, yeah. but. William well, Plattinger does a great job of mm-hmm. totally showing how illogical mm-hmm. their and irrational their argument is in that regard. Yes. But you were going to make a point. Well, what we want to talk about today is not the illogicalness of certain yeah. foundations for your life. We can do that at other times. But uh, we kind of want to talk about how it's affecting our world and, yes. and some of the places where we can see that. You yes. specifically mentioned guilt yes. is a spot where that guilt. pops up. I have a feeling you have a little bit more you want to say about that. <laughs> so why don't you jump in well, and I'll comment. Well, the, the issue of guilt... I think is, you know, like I said before, the scientific materialists, they don't deal with guilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way Hindus deal with guilt, and since there's almost a billion Hindus in the world, I think it's really important yeah. to deal with that, is that they they believe that you have to, there's three ways to deal with your guilt. Uh, two, no Hindu ever uses. The third one is called the way of devotion, and that is you find a lesser God. There's about 3,000 different gods yeah. in their in their system. There's three primary gods, Brahma mm-hmm. and two others. And so what happens is you find a lesser God and then you devote your path to whatever virtue. It's a form mm-hmm. of paganism. And, and the reason why is you're caught in a cycle because of mm-hmm. karma of death and reincarnation. And so you're not only guilty for what you do in this life, you're guilty for what all the things you've done in the thousands of past mm-hmm. lives. And so I think that's really interesting in that regard. So you have to basically use yourself in your own effort Mm-hmm. to alleviate your guilt. Yeah. Uh, in Islam, uh, the, there is no way to alleviate your guilt. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, we look at that. But what I think is really fascinating is that Jesus, uh, in, in what he talked about is he says, I will come and I will take your guilt away from you by his sacrifice on the cross, right? He says, mm-hmm. I will give my life as a ransom. So he wants to pay a ransom for your guilt. And the scriptures call it a blood guilt. Mm-hmm. And that's why he shed his blood. And the, is, the issue, though, is at this moment, what you believe, how does it deal with your guilt? And are you using self-justification, like we talked on Tuesday, or are you using the righteousness that comes through faith given to us by God, mm-hmm. which alleviates our guilt? And what's interesting is every human being feels guilty, right? Mm-hmm. You pointed out how C.S. Yeah. Lewis said, at some point, it doesn't matter what your moral code is or your conscience, you violate it. Yep. So you feel guilty about that. And I think what's happening is that pop psychology today is a huge business. It's a billion dollar business. And it's all designed trying to convince people that they, of their own accord, can alleviate their guilt. Mm-hmm. They can deal with their guilt, resolve their guilt. And I think it's really interesting. Uh, there's a, a, a woman, she's very progressive thinker, and she wrote a book called Feeling Jewish, and her name is uh, Deborah Baum. And That's she, an interesting title, just to, yeah. <laughs> just to, throw, just to, to comment on. Well, I feeling think it, Jewish? Yeah, what because, does that even mean? Well, Jews tend to feel really guilty all the time, I guess, is the meme. Out yeah, fair there. enough. The Old so, Testament covers some yeah. of that, doesn't it? <laughs> and so the idea, she wrote, writes the following words, the idea of guilt as an inhibiting emotion corroborates the common critique of liberal guilt that for all the suffering it produces, it fails completely to motivate the guilty subject to bring about any meaningful political change. 
But what if the liberal's guilt actually has another purpose to allow the liberal respite from the thing that she may unconsciously feel even worse about? And that is the lack of a fixed identity that tells her who she is, what her responsibilities are, and where these come to an end, which I think is fascinating. Because what she's saying is that basically uh, guilt is tr- tries to motivate a person to feel right about certain situations. And mm-hmm. this is what progressivism and Marxism and socialism all have in common. And that is, is that people are suffering. It's your fault. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we need to create a utopian society that alleviates your guilt. And so the more that you push for a political change that alleviates this, it's meaningful political change, and then you'll feel less guilty. But what she she does in a rare moment of clarity, she says that never happens. And the reason why is because there is an unconscious thing that this person feels worse about. You know what that is? is that they have no fixed identity that tells them who they are and what their responsibilities are in the world. So she concludes her point by saying, by falsely promising a tabula rasa, and a tabula rasa is like a a revelation, it's an objective truth outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. So by falsely promising a objective truth outside of yourself, bound to his historical and intellectual emancipation, modernity may not only have failed to obliterate man's subjective guilt, but may even have exacerbated it. For what many a modern man is guilty of is less his actions than his addition to a version of knowledge that seems to have inhibited his, inhibited his capacity for action. So what she's saying is you feel really, really guilty and you're getting all this knowledge, but you don't do anything about it, which makes you feel more guilty. Mm-hmm. And so she's saying it's an endless trap. And that would be our contentions. And we're saying, well, thank you, Dever Bond, for actually being honest about these false ideologies and pop psychology. She ends up by saying this, as such, the religious assignation, meaning the religious conclusion of man as a sinner, a fallen, abject, endlessly compromised, but also active, effective, and changeable creature, begins to look comforting by comparison. <laughs> So, so what she's saying is that, well, religion or faith can't be true. Mm-hmm. She, she already has that preconceived assumption, but what well, she's of course saying, it can't be true. you know, in her mind, but what's interesting is she's willing to admit that it's a more comforting alternative to mm-hmm. what the world is trying to do right now in alleviating its guilt. Yeah. Which I do think that also reveals a really interesting, um, Assumption, thought, process, logic. Uh, I, I'm, I'm struggling to find the word. Position, okay. maybe. A premise. But premise, yes. It, 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 it reveals a very interesting premise, which is that, hmm, this religion stuff is kind of good because it's better than what we're at now. It has no question, and it, has, it does not even approach whether it's true or not. Correct. You know, you talk all the time about how we live in a postmodern world where truth is defined by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, this, I think, is a great example of that foundation coming through because the question of religion that she brings up has nothing to do with whether it's true or not. And mm-hmm. as you said, she's like, oh, well, it's not true, obviously. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just that's how her mind is. But she's like, but it does work here. And there's not even a thought to whether it's truth. Yeah. Only a thought of, hmm, what's better to deal with guilt? Yeah. It's, you know, it becomes, and we talked about this on Tuesday with, you know, when you are following Jesus, 
good things come out of you. You know, mm-hmm. the fruit of the Spirit. The whole point of the fruit of the Spirit passage is when you're following God, all this stuff happens. You become patient and loving and kind and self-controlled and all this other, you know, all these good things. Mm-hmm. When you're following Jesus, your justification just becomes justification. You're not even thinking about it. It just happens. As opposed to, you know, what this uh, Deborah, what, what's her last name? Miss Deborah uh, Baum. Miss Baum. Miss or Mrs. Baum. When she writes this, her point is not, she's like, okay, how are we going to fix this guilt problem? Where with Jesus, is like, yeah, come to me, we'll figure it, you know. It'll, yeah. it'll, it'll get fixed eventually. He's like, you don't even have to worry about that. But when your foundation is in postmodernism, it's like, hmm, what works the best? What can get rid of my guilt? Yeah. Um, you know, counselors, uh, counseling today, I would, I would warn anybody who's going to a counselor to make sure they're a Christian-based counselor. Yes. Because a Christian-based counselor will counsel you based on the truth of the Bible, you know, and have that foundation in Jesus. But I've heard, uh, f- you know, through, through friends and things about people go to counselors that are not Christian-based. And it is a, you know, I'm sure there's good ones out there, but I also have heard some really just sad things, you know, yeah. someone who is having struggles with their family and the counselor was like, mm, well, if your family, if, you, if being around your family is difficult for you, and makes you feel bad. Their answer was not resolve that with your family. Talk to them. Your family, their answer was, oh, get rid of your family. Just don't talk to them anymore. <laughs> don't talk to your family Which I'm like, anymore. what? But that's, that's because the, the only goal is itself. Yeah. It's, oh, get rid of guilt. Yeah. You know, there's no, even in self-justification, which we're talking about, the goal of self-justification is never to actually be justified. It's mm-hmm. to get rid of your own guilt. Get rid of your own guilt. It's to feel good about yeah. yourself. It's not to legitimately and truly be justified the way Jesus makes us justified. Mm-hmm. You know, it says in John, you know, if we confess our sins, he is good to forgive us. You know, he is an advocate, a mediator between us and the Father. Mm-hmm. That is justific. That is true justification. True justification. As opposed to, you know, you get bail for yourself and you run out of town. Yeah. You know, that's what that's what self-justification is. You're like, oh, well, I, they, they don't know what really happened. I'm, I'm leaving town so that yes. I don't have to forget, think about this anymore. And, you know, what's really fascinating is that, you know, she makes that statement of identity. And I was just going to point out that on the surface, based on what you you're talking about, about finding a moral code that you're trying to live by to justify yourself on the surface, it's really interesting because Christianity as an ethical system, meaning morals appears to be similar with every other belief system or religion out there. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, Confucius would say, Hey, don't steal. You know, be honest and tell the truth. Mm -hmm. In Islam, it's wrong to steal. They say, don't steal. You know, they can cut your hand off if you steal, but it's wrong. In Hinduism, it's like, well, you know, bad karma is stealing. If you're Mm -hmm. a thief, you're going to have bad karma. No one likes stealing. So, yeah. (laughs) So you say on the surface, it seems like don't murder, you know, don't murder innocent people Mm -hmm. and don't do this and don't do that. And in some ways, Christianity looks almost similar, right? I mean, there's a, that's why a lot of people say, well, all religions are the same. The 10 commandments is in my Bible back at home and I'm sure it's in yours too. Yeah. So, so there's all, so there seems to be a similarity, but what's interesting is that most people who think this way never take five minutes to look below the surface Mm -hmm. and the underlying motivation is what is so different in Christianity. Whereas these moral codes are, are consistent with one another throughout all these other religions and belief systems, they all have the same appeal and the mm-hmm. same appeal or the same premise is this, you do this cause it's right. 
Mm-hmm. You do it because it's right. We've determined this is right. Yeah. And you should do it. That's right. Now, John Locke would talk about this as an outflow of the natural law. Mm-hmm. Cicero talked about this as the natural law. A lot of our founding fathers talked about this as natural law. I won't go down that path. That's another really great <laughs> discussion for another time for those of you. I mean, we interested. would just have to add, you know, another hour and a half to our yeah, timer. So <laughs> can't do that. But the point being is that the underlying premise in Christianity is so different than all these other religions and ethical systems, because the reason you don't do these things has nothing to do with the intrinsic rightness or wrong with them. Uh, they have to do with your identity. In other words, you don't do these things. There's a natural law that people know because of who you are. Mm -hmm. So it's an issue of identity and it's an outflow of your inner transformation. Mm -hmm. The other side, the reason this is so significantly important is because on the other side, it's irrelevant what kind of person you are if you're attempting to follow a moral code. There, there can be no, there doesn't have to be redemption. There doesn't have to be a change of heart. You're simply maybe even out of selfish ambition or vain conceit following a moral code because everyone else is, and you just don't want to pay the negative price, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't want the stick, you want the carrot, yeah. so to speak. And so what ends up happening is that society then dictates what's right and wrong. And because there's no internal transformation, guess what happens when society does something that's wrong? Like when a society stands up and says, hey, uh, like Mao Zedong's uh, cultural revolution is that if you're an educated person or if you're a teacher or you're a professor or a doctor or any of these types of things, you are uh, evil in our eyes. And that's how Mao Zedong and his cultural revolution murdered almost 50 million of his own people. Mm -hmm. You know, this is more than the entire population of the state of California. Mm -hmm. So this is how Hitler stood up and was able to wipe out Jewish people and Romanians and gypsies and handicapped and elderly in concentration camps Mm -hmm. and how all these other people went along and said, well, I'm just following the moral code because this is what society demands. Yeah. And so, but what was interesting, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was German, he was the son of a very prominent German family, very well politically connected. But what he did is when the Lutheran church, which had become a religion in Germany at that time, allowed itself to be taken over by Adolf Hitler in the Third Reich, and they actually took the swastika and they superimposed it over the Lutheran cross, Mm -hmm. right, and put it on the churches. And he was opposed to that because he wasn't following a moral code regardless of his internal being. What had happened is he'd been transformed by Jesus Christ. And so even though the entire world was saying, this is right, he said, no, it's not Mm -hmm. because of who he is. That's why it's so significantly important is in Christianity, you are the salt, you're the light in society because you're doing all of the things that you're doing because of who you are. It is a reflection of your new identity. And you're not motivated by selfish ambition or vain conceit. You do it simply because that is who you are. So the only way to become this new you is to be redeemed by the blood of Christ. And this is why Christianity is so powerful and yet ultimately completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you think about that? 
That was a lot. That's a lot to <laughs> digest there, isn't it? You went into preacher mode right there, didn't Sorry, you? Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but do you see the point is, is that the, the real essence here is we're talking about is self-justification mm-hmm. and how it's a fruitless endeavor. Yeah. And how true freedom, true, you know, uh, healing and wholeness can only come through an external justification mm-hmm. and an ex- external justification that has the power to do that. It can't and come from ourselves. It can't come from ourselves. And that's what psychology is. If you, if you were to Google right now, the whole, uh, how do I get rid of my guilt? How do I feel less guilty? Then what they're going to do is they're going to give you 10 steps about yourself. But what's fascinating is people do these steps all the time and they still feel guilty. They, they don't feel less guilty. And it's like how to get rid of toxic guilt, managing guilt, get over your guilt. They even have a wiki on how to, you know, 13 steps to get rid of your guilt. And it's just like, don't be a perfectionist and don't do this and don't do this. Would you like to know the actual results? So, yeah. Because I do have a computer right here. Oh, did you Google it? Let me see. Yeah, I did. Okay. Seven ways to let go of guilt from Scientific American. Scientific American. You got to know So there is a scientific way to get rid of guilt. Number one, remember the flip side of guilt. I don't know what that means. But uh, I can actually click on the article maybe. But (laughs) Okay, remember the flip side of guilt. So here's the deal is what they're saying is use your reason to assuage your guilt. So rationalize it away. But is it possible to rationalize a violation of your conscience? Because where does your guilt come from? Your conscious, Mm -hmm. rational mind. And so now I'm saying, okay, the thing that made me feel guilty, my conscious, rational mind, I'm now going to try to manipulate to get rid of my guilt. Mm -hmm. Do you see the circular stupidity of this reasoning? Is that a little salty? Okay, what's the next one? Uh, Write any outstanding wrongs. Okay. That one's actually pretty good right there, isn't it? Well, yes, it's true is that you can go and say you're sorry or you can ask for forgiveness. But what if the other person doesn't forgive you? What if the other person doesn't want to make amends? What if Mm -hmm. the other person doesn't care? What if the other person just wants to kill you? Mm -hmm. Right? No, you're right. So, so how, so you can't, so you're, they're trying to say, try to control something you can't control, which is another person. Mm -hmm. Do you see the stupidity of that circular argument? Number three, challenge hindsight bias. What in the world are they trying to say? A lot of what the mental health world knows about guilt comes from research with combat veterans. War is rife with opportunities to feel guilty about things. That's probably true. Uh, Can apply to us all. Uh, Guilt, the list goes on. At the root of all this guilt lie four common thinking areas, areas. The first is hindsight bias, which is a mistaken belief that the outcome was known at the time. So, there's, so if you would have done something different yeah. that, because you uh, now that you know the outcome, but you didn't at the time, but you should say, look, if I, if I had done something different, it wouldn't which, have turned which out I this think, way. Which I think is a fair point in certain cases of guilt that are based on, you know, more of a feeling. Like if you feel like you screwed something up because you did something and it turned out bad, mm-hmm. I, I understand where that can come from. Also, that doesn't necessarily change what was right or wrong. You know, right. what if you do something that's right and it causes something bad to happen? Correct. Are you guilty about doing what was right? Yeah. Like, eh, and what if you do something that you knew was clearly wrong? We talked about stealing earlier. Yes. What if you steal something and feel guilty? You can't be like, well, I didn't know I'd feel bad about stealing. Like, is that yeah. really fair? Like, so I don't just, know. <laughs> so let me, let me encapsulate. Do you see the stupidity of that illogical argument? Trying to use yourself mm-hmm. 
to justify. Well, it's just so, silliness because that like doesn't even apply half the time. You know, yeah. like if you do something and you know it was wrong, it's like there was no hindsight. There's no hindsight bias. You knew you should not have done that. You should. Yeah. So um, it's. Oh, really, here, here's your favorite. I okay. want to get to number four. Challenge your assumptions of a lack of justification. <laughs> it literally says that <laughs> we believe that there was no good reason for the course of action we took that we should have done better. You know, uh, our, you know, somebody feels guilty for heinous behavior as an adolescent. You know, when we feel guilty about an outcome, it's often because of two things. We first believe we must have been a path to a better outcome. Second, we think we have the resources required for the ideal outcome at the time, even if we didn't. So they're saying, you know, believe that you're justified. If you feel guilty, just believe that you were justified. You, I don't know, have any idea how that would ever <laughs> work. Because if you were justified and were convinced that you were justified, guess what? You wouldn't feel you guilty. You feel guilty, yeah. Do you um, see the stupidity yeah, no. of this argument? Ch- challenge a sense of over-responsibility, which again, it's like... Um, Maybe you should uh, just, and again, I, so some of these, they're, they're, some of the examples they're using here are like, if you were involved in domestic abuse and you were the victim and it's like a hundred percent, if you, people sometimes feel guilty because it's a mental health thing. And that is very correct. You should not feel guilty about that because it wasn't your fault. Yeah. But see, here's the issue that I would say is that when we make statements like you shouldn't feel guilty what we're actually doing, what people are doing is they are making a moral case. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the problem is with all of these things is they may help for a little bit, but in the end, you will never be set free from Mm -hmm. your guilt. And that's the point is that Mm self-justification never works. You won't be set free until you know the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. But you haven't heard the last two tips yet. Let me hear the last two. The last two. two, We'll finish up quick because I know we've gone long. Challenge the thinking area of wrongdoing. (laughs) So, so, well, it wasn't wrong because it's not. No, no, it's just, it's an error. If you think you did something wrong, that's an error. You know, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a mental bias or whatever they're calling it. So how can I say that I'm wrong in thinking something was wrong? I don't know. That's a great (laughs) question. This is is a belief that you purposely did something wrong or violated your values. I mean, I've done that. Have you done that? I've, have you purposely done something that. wrong? Oh, well, apparently, according to the Scientific American, we haven't. Uh, How and, funny. And the last one, you'll really love this. Uh, just get older. You know, uh, <laughs> this is the simplest solution. Uh, researchers at the University of Queensland found that negative self-conscious emotion like guilt and shame is less frequent as we get older. We just don't feel as guilty. We just maybe. don't feel as guilty. Now, maybe you can tell me why that is, because I'm not your age, but you know, we can uh, we can jump into that. Well, I can tell you <laughs> why is because as you get older, you realize that self justification never works. Yeah, and so you realize is that you know I'm at peace with my maker. That's how the phrase was for you know yeah. centuries. You got to yeah. make peace with your maker, and most people come to that conclusion as they get older. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me, unless you're really wounded and unresolved with old hurts, as you get older, you tend to get more spiritual, not less, mm. which is a big deal. So, so maybe they revealed the true solution that the best thing to do is, is cause as you get older, like you said, if you yeah. get more spiritual and people start thinking about religion and, you know, finding Christianity as they get older, well, that'd be a good reason.
Well, I hope that this uh, episode today with my son was insightful for you to think about how the principles that we talked about on Tuesday are applicable to your life today in that our goal is to see you work through any issues of guilt that you're dealing with. And the way we do it as human beings is we do it by finding the rightness, the righteousness, the justification that comes from God on the basis of faith because of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. We're going to leave that with you today on the Salty Pastor. God bless you. And please invite somebody to Easter services so that you can share with them that Jesus Christ is the only way. Blessings.